Hi, ladies. Thank you for being leaders in your Bible study groups. Get your green highlighter and green pen so that you can underline some important statements and make notes to help you lead ladies in a meaningful discussion of God's Word. Let's delight in studying and sharing the precious words of the Lord to us. This is the Leader's Guide for Abide in Me, John 14 through 16. I will be discussing Lesson 3 and Lesson 4. I'm beginning on page 24. So, we'll just get started by saying we are studying Lesson 3. We're studying the plan from John, from Jesus, from John 13, 31 through 38. And then underline so that you can read as a transition, just still getting going, the last sentence of the first italicized paragraph. Jesus knew he was saying and extended goodbye to his disciples, even though they didn't quite understand it yet. Then ask for one person to read the passage with their blanks all filled in on the second half of page 24. I will read through it, but I am hoping that with uh, access to the New King James translation that they will not have any trouble filling in the blanks. So let's just hear this passage read out loud by someone. Now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Leaders, after that, you can state this, that glorify and love are the repeated words in this passage. At the top of page 29, and sometimes it's important to just tell your ladies what page you're on, um, leaders, I want you to point out from this first paragraph that we're noticing the timing that Jesus emphasized. Now, now, um, and specifically this phrase, now that Jesus knows God will glorify him immediately. So these those uh, points are transitioning us to what's coming up. Also, just read the um, second half of the sentence. Even though the disciples still didn't understand the full impact of Jesus' death, they did understand that he was talking about dying. And now we're ready to ask the next question. Just read it and wait for someone to speak up. What does Hebrews 2, 9 say that Jesus' death brought about for him? The focus of this answer is that Jesus is crowned with glory and honor. That's what his death brought about. But they may say the suffering of death. Um, they may read the whole verse. Uh, they may say he tasted death for everyone. And if anyone asks about that phrase, he tasted death for everyone, Tasted means experienced. He really did die, but we don't want to get bogged down in this question and discussing that or, or um, discussing the for everyone. The point of this question is to see that Jesus' death is what crowned him with glory and honor. 
So that uh, totally relates to what Jesus said. I mean, he said that the Son of Man is glorified, John 13, 31. Okay. Um, and you'll be able to read the first part of the verse that I have amplified. And leaders just read the basically the first sentence again. John 13, 31. Now the Son of Man is glorified by his death. And by Jesus' death, God is glorified in him. Don't keep reading because it just gets too wordy. There is no one who ever did what Jesus did. And that glorified God. How did Peter explain what Jesus did in his letter, according to 1 Peter 2, 22 through 24? And someone may just quote the whole verse or they may summarize. Um, I have... Um, made notes from these two or three verses. So in his life, Jesus committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. So that glorified God because he did what? He was holy as God is holy. And in his death, he was reviled, but he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. He committed himself to him, to God, who judges righteously. So Jesus trusted God. He was magnifying the reputation of who God is in all that he did. And then the last phrase, of course, is so important from 1 Peter 2, 24. Jesus bore our sins and by his stripes we are healed. So Jesus bore our sins. He magnified the reputation of God because God is holy and we are not. And there had to be a reconciler. So Obviously, I'm just talking more about that, and people don't have to say that, but sometimes I can't help myself. Jesus knew that his death would occur within the next 24 hours. He only had a little while longer with the disciples. So read that as your transition to the next uh, question, and then just keep on reading and ask it. What was the first thing that Jesus told his disciples, according to John 13, 34, and 35? Wait for an answer. And he told them, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So this was an entirely new thing for them to hear, to love each other as Jesus loved them. When he said it, they still had no idea of what Jesus' love was about to look like. They had seen it so far over three years but there was more to come love in action was about to be displayed to them how did paul describe the love of jesus in ephesians 5 2 ask that question wait for someone and uh, christ loved us and gave himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to god for a sweet smelling aroma and uh, that last phrase is interesting, but don't get stuck on it. What's the point? Why are we looking at this verse? Um, Christ loved us and gave himself for us. He did offer himself as a sacrifice. And uh, that is love, laying down your life for someone. We're turning the page at the top of page 26. You can ask this question. Just read it. What did John say about Jesus in Revelation 1, 5 and 6? Jesus is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the 
ruler over kings of the earth. He loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. So again, that's what we're, that's why we've looked at that verse because it says Jesus loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. We saw on the previous page that glorify means magnify the reputation of. So you might want to write that down as a reminder to yourself just to mention that. Write it under that italicized paragraph. We saw that glorify means magnify the reputation of. So you'll say that and then you can ask the question, how does your life magnify the reputation of Jesus? Ask the question. Wait Ladies are going to be hesitant to answer this question. You can smile at them. You can be encouraging, um, saying something like, I know your lives do uh, magnify the reputation of Jesus. And if you, um, there, there may be some in the room, if they are new, new believers or new to Bible study, or if they are in sin and they need to get out of sin, then they may actually be thinking, no, it doesn't. So it is possible that not everybody in the room will be glorifying Jesus through how they're living. Um, so I'm, I'm setting you up because this is a very personal question and ladies are usually quite hesitant to answer it. They don't want to sound prideful. They're not sure of themselves, but we, this is a, a question of accountability. So you need to be willing to go first to share how you answered it and... Um, here's what I said, uh, that my life represents the truth of who Jesus is. He's the God man. He's the savior. I, I declare that I, uh, live accordingly. I, by the power of the Holy spirit, follow and obey his commands, uh, showing that he's the authority. I humble myself before Jesus. I, I need him <laughs> and I try to serve others and forgive others and of course, when I mess up, then I'm asking for forgiveness for myself. So even that is showing that he is greater and I don't, I'm not all that he is. I'm, I'm not, I'm not perfect and I know it. Uh, the next question is, how can you love your brothers and sisters in the family of God the way Jesus loved? So we've got an opportunity for um, action to be talked about or heart to be talked about. So um, how can you love your brothers and sisters and the family of God the way Jesus loved? Think about them and their needs. Um, serve them. Forgive them. Be involved in their lives. Share Jesus with them. This is the kind of question I always love to hear others um, share because that what others share is encouraging and inspiring to me. So we can learn from each other and you can encourage the ladies in your group to share by saying we can learn from each other as you answer this question. Next on the page, it says, Peter was listening and had a question. Peter said, where? Oh, so I've written in what Peter said in my notes because it's not in the workbook and I did not have you look it up. But Peter said to Jesus, where are you going and why can't I follow you now? So what did Jesus say to Peter in John 13? 38. Jesus said, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. And then skip down to the question. 
where it says, and just read that. Look at the steps of Peter's fall in the commentary above. And you'll probably say, you looked at the steps of Peter's fall. And you were to list appropriate actions that you can take through which God will make a way for you to escape temptations. So what actions did you note? What are some appropriate actions to take? I saw four steps, uh, yes, in the commentary from Pastor Boyce. So I have four statements, and here's what I said. (laughs) Don't be overconfident. So instead, be humble and aware of your strengths and weaknesses. Don't fail to pray, and instead, pray. Know that I need help and I need empowerment. Uh, from the Holy Spirit, from Jesus. I also said, don't fall behind. Stay close to Jesus. I have exclamation points with everything that I wrote. And then the last one that I wrote was, don't cozy up to the enemy. Choose your friends um, wisely and um, how much time you spend with them, the influence that they are with them. So um, you can certainly have more than one person share their answers, that would be a good one. And I think they might be more willing to comment on this one. And these are the kind of things that are also helpful for us to hear and remember, be reminded of. So I hope that this lesson's been going well. We're going to keep going on to lesson four, the top of page 27. This lesson is about trusting Jesus and we're in John 14, 1 through 6. This may be a familiar passage of Scripture. You can start by highlighting that. And then I've underlined the third, um, the third line. These words of Jesus are intended to comfort his disciples regarding his death and their deaths. Why? <laughs> because, now underline and read the very last sentence of the third paragraph. The disciples were alarmed. Jesus is talking to them, and they're alarmed. They know it. He knows it. So, we're ready for the first question. Just read it. What did Jesus say to them in John 14, 1, that indicates that he knew what they were thinking and feeling? It's a simple question, and it's a simple answer. Let not your hearts be troubled. It's okay if they only say, let not your hearts be troubled. Or they may have, they may say all of verse one, you believe in God, believe also in me. Um, What's the solution to the distress of their troubled hearts? And so we're still looking at John 14, one. The solution is that second half of the, the verse. Jesus said, you believe in God, believe also in me. So what we want to do is turn to the top of page 28 and emphasize that first paragraph. All three verbs in John 14, 1 are in the imperative, which means they are commands. Do this. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So here's the thing. (laughs) It's written there for you. Let not your heart be troubled is just an empty statement if it's not combined with believe in God, believe also in me. Let not your heart be troubled is um, quotable and is quoted 
It's, it's stated often by a news commentator. But that's not enough to just hear, oh, don't worry. Don't, don't let your heart be troubled. So we're looking at the full instruction that Jesus gives us. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And that word believe really is meaning trust. So the question that I have asked is, do you actively trust Jesus when you're faced with challenging, stressful, confusing circumstances? How do you show that you trust him? What do you do or not do? This is another personal question, but because it um, is about things that we all deal with all the time, we can get stirred up, we can get anxious. Uh, Ladies may be more willing to share So let's talk about this a little bit more. And I hope someone will speak up. Once again, leaders, just wait. But if you see that someone is very reluctant to share, then you can share a little bit with the um, enticement that you'll share and then someone else can share after you. (laughs) So here's what I said. Sometimes I get stuck trying to think something out. And my mind's just spinning and I'm trying to figure it out myself. I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to be praying about this. The Holy Spirit reminds me to pray and reminds me to stop spinning and striving and figuring it out. Pray. And then it's time to change my thoughts and know that God is going to lead me and perhaps my behavior needs to change um, to show that I am trusting him and these are all things that could happen in the moment. Um, how do you show you trust him? What do you do or not do? I did not write this down, but going to read your Bible, if your thoughts are spinning, do that. There's a battle going on in the mind. So uh, you may need to truly physically change your, like, move from one room to another. Stand up, sit down, get on your knees and pray. Uh, go for a walk. It just could be anything active that shows that you are kind of turning the new, turning over a new leaf and not being troubled, but trusting God. Um, so now we'll go to the next question because we're still considering this whole thing. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe also, you believe in God, believe also in me. What did Jesus say in John 14, 2 through 4 to assure his disciples that his death was necessary and he was trustworthy? This is easy for them to just read. They may have written the verse, so they're just reading the verse, or they may have summarized. They may have only written a phrase down. Um, The New King James says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you so. I go to prepare a place for you. And now I've paraphrased a little bit. Jesus said, I'm going and I will come again and receive you so that where I am, you may be also. Where I'm going, you know, and you know the way. Just so you've heard this, the um, various translations will translate mansions differently. The NAS says dwelling places. The ESV and NIV NIV say many rooms. And the New Living Translation says there are, is more than enough room in my father's house. So 
Of course that's true, but it kind of misses out on a point that is being made through the words that John used in the Greek. So let's look at those Greek words. This is the first time we're looking up any Greek words. And those who have done studies with me um, may be familiar and enjoy this, and others may say, what's going on here? So, um, mansions is Strong's 3438. It is the Greek word mone, and the Greek definition from Strong's is a staying, a residence, an abode, a mansion. Thayer's Greek definitions say it's a staying, an abiding, a dwelling. And in Thayer, it also, I just found this interesting, so I'll share it. It says, um, like it counts different ways that it can be used. So first use, second use, third use. It says in the third way, metaphorically, it refers to the Holy Spirit indwelling believers. This whole section that we're in is about Jesus going away and he's going away and he's going to send the Holy Spirit. So this dwelling and the Holy Spirit dwelling in us is going to be a very big deal. We're not there yet, but this this word's going to show up again throughout the passages, the chapters that we're studying in the form of the next word that you looked at. The root word of mansions is the Greek word meno, meno, and it's a verb, a primary verb, to stay, to abide, uh, continue, dwell, endure, be present, remain, stand, tarry. We're just laying the foundation and we're seeing these words and how it is about being with someone in the place and staying and dwelling in the place where they are. Please take your ladies to the top of page 29 and um, write a note to yourself to say, look at these statements at the top of page 29. Um, what's your summary or explanation after doing this study so far of in my father's house are many mansions, dwelling places. What's your takeaway from what you see? It says my father's house refers to the presence of God. Um, rooms in the box here in such a house signify nothing less than the sheer delight of forever dwelling in the unshielded radiance of the glory of God. What are we saying? How would you summarize what Jesus said now that you've looked at these words? So just pause and um, talk about it a little bit. We still have two pages, so you might check your time. And so um, after discussing that, Look ahead at what Jesus says as he explains things further. Because can you just picture the disciples kind of cocking their head and looking at him and waiting for him to say more and explain things more? So what did he say? Uh, in John 14, 2, he said he's going to his father's house to prepare a place for us. And in John 14, 12, he said he's going to the father. So those That's... The simple answer to what Jesus was telling the disciples. I'm going to the Father. And how did Jesus go there? 
according to Luke 23:33 and Luke 23:42-46. In verse 33 you see that he was crucified on the cross. So he was going to the Father by being crucified on the cross. And then in the next passage it says that he cried out, "Father, into your hands I commend my spirit." And he breathed his last breath. Those last verses show us that he gave up his life. He did it himself, which uh, we're going to see in, a, in the Luke study that that's exactly what happened. He did it. Life was not taken from him. He gave it. Um, in the box, it says the preparation of Jesus for our entrance into that domain, God's presence, was through his departure, his death on the cross. So what we want to try to wrap our minds around is when Jesus said he goes to prepare a place, he goes to prepare, as the box says, he's not going uh, to get into the construction business to build and renovate rooms. He's leading people to God. He's preparing a place, and his preparing was his death on the cross and bearing our sins. And this is not in the workbook, but there's just an idea that I had as I was processing this. Think of your uh, a hiking guide in front of you with a machete clearing away super thick brush that's all tangled up, and you've got to get to the other side of this thicket and the, the hiker, the, your leader, chops it away and makes a little tunnel through the thicket. He, the hiker, the leader, the guide has prepared a way for you to follow him through the thicket. That's what Jesus' death did. It prepared the way for us to follow him. It made a way for us to follow him. So I think it's important to just process that idea here as we are looking at these verses. We continue to see, and we're still processing that idea, at the bottom half of page 29. What does Hebrews 6, 19 through 20 tell us about what Jesus has done and where he is now? It says Jesus is the forerunner, like that hiking guide, who entered the presence behind the veil. So Jesus is in the presence of God the Father now. He went through the difficulty. He could enter because he's perfect. And because he has lived the perfect life, now he's made the way. He was able to uh, open the veil. And that's what we're going to see in the next question. What did Jesus do for us and where can we go now? According to Hebrews 10, 19 through 20, just um, check and ask your ladies if they realized that they had changed chapters. We were The first question is Hebrews 6, and the next question is Hebrews 10, because the verse numbers are the same, and I got confused myself. I'm like, wait a minute, I'm not, I don't see a different answer here, but it's a different chapter. So just uh, if they don't talk about a new and living way, then they're on the wrong chapter. <laughs> they might still be stuck in chapter 6. So what did Jesus do for us and where can we go now? According to Hebrews 10, 19 through 20, I have 
taken the truth that's in these verses and I've used the Bible words, but I have rearranged the sentence like this. Jesus consecrated a new and living way by his blood, by his flesh. Jesus consecrated a new and living way through the veil. And the veil was a barrier. He made a way for us to enter the holiest. And the holiest is referring to the holy of holies, which is the presence of God. Like in the tabernacle, in the temple, the most inside, interior, intimate place with the Lord into his very presence. Jesus made the way for us to get into the presence of God. Wow. Sometimes we need to just really stop and take it in and be overwhelmed uh, with the truth that we're handling. I'm going to page 30 now. And after being overwhelmed with that thought, now we're going to get a sneak peek of the Father's house as it was revealed to John. What did he see in Revelation 21, 2 and 3? And how was the Father's house, presence of the Father, our Father God, how was it described? It's called a new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It's described as the tabernacle of God, and it will be with men. God will dwell with men, and they shall be his people. There might have been a little bit more that I didn't note there. What did John see in Revelation 22, 1 through 6? In a word, beauty or glory. He saw a crystal clear river of life coming from the throne of God and the Lamb. He saw street. He saw the tree of life. And maybe there were multiple trees of life. This gets so interesting. The tree of life was bearing 12 fruits and bearing fruits every month. The tree had leaves for the healing of nations. I don't understand what that means. Uh, but I certainly get the next part. There is no more curse because Every battle will have been fought. The devil will have been done away with. All who have rebelled and rejected God and never accepted Jesus as their Savior, they, sadly, are in the, they are in the lake of fire. There is no more curse and there is no more sin and evil. The throne of God and the Lamb is in New Jerusalem and His servants will serve Him. They shall see His face. His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. The I did abbreviate now here some things. The Lord gives light. Um, his servants will reign with him forever. And all of this will soon take place. So we are almost home. When we are finally living in eternity, we will look back and see how short this time on earth has been. Now, you looked back at John 14, 1 through 6, and we are looking at what are we waiting for based on John 14, 3. We're waiting for Jesus to come again and receive us to himself. And what is indisputable based on John 14, 6? That Jesus and only Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. 
Then we saw that Peter came to understand and proclaim this truth. What did he say about Jesus and the way to the Father's house? According to Acts 4, 8 through 12. We see that Peter proclaimed Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He was crucified. God raised him from the dead. And he is the stone which was rejected by Israel, the leaders of Israel. And he became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in nobody else, no other, no other name by which we are all saved. I ended this lesson with comments about the hymn, When We All Get to Heaven. And what a day of rejoicing that will be. Um, just... It's so happy to read the verses and to think of what our future is. And we know that right now, Jesus has opened the way for us to be in the presence of God right now. And then there is going to be a time where there is a physical, spiritual, real manifestation of uh, where we are changed and we will be in a real place with God. I'm excited about it. I'm looking forward to that day. Until we get there, we're praying and sharing that others will know Jesus so that they can be there too. That is all for now. I hope that you have enjoyed this lesson and talking about it with each other. Thanks for your leadership. Um.